The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It goes downhill from now. Hey, okay, <laughs> hi, hi, welcome to the bike goes on. Don't listen to Sandra. It goes, it goes uphill from here. <laughs> I didn't think you turned it on yet. You told me to. Hey, this is Brian Casey with my friend Sandra Bernstein. We are here in Sonoma County. Sandra, how are you doing this week? Well, I think it's like week 50. Well, not 50 yet. It's probably week 40. And um, I got hacked on Instagram, which was a total nightmare. Um, I lost another two pounds. That was a good thing. All right. And I watched um, Amazon Prime, the pack about these dogs and their people just going all over. It was like the amazing race with your dog. It was so awesome. Was was but, that show, is it, um, is it, was it taped like recently or is no, it? It must have been a while ago because nobody's got a mask, not even okay. anywhere in the audience. I mean, not anywhere. So it must be over a year old. Or they're Republicans. Or they're, <laughs> maybe. But that would mean everybody around them would have to be Republican too. Who knows? Well, anyway, we could go on, but um, I am really excited. I have been asking, and I'm not even going to pronounce your last name because I don't want to mess it up. But I've been asking Kyle, who is a very dear friend and a chef, and to come on the podcast for, I think this is like the fourth time I've asked. And I finally, I think that my Jewish guilt must have gotten to you. <laughs> but um, I just, and I guess to preface, like we've known each other for a while, at least six years, I think five or six years, six, maybe longer. But um I have always been super, super impressed with how you have come up through the ranks, how you have had so much responsibility in different things and have, you know, accomplished so much, how you've built your teams. Um, Not to even say I've been privileged to have a lot of your amazing food that you've cooked. And so I thought it would be a really fun episode just to talk about, you know, the journey of a chef and, you know, particularly you, you're not from Sonoma. And so we can start like, I don't know how you decided to be a chef. Well, can we, can we first pronounce his last name? Kyle Kukluski? Kukluski, that's very good. Kukluski, that's not that hard. And that way, if anyone's listening right now, they can look you up online and look at your Mm -hmm. webpage while they're listening to the show or check you out on Instagram. Perfect, perfect. uh, Yes, I pretty much had to tell Sandra, don't give me a choice (laughs) (laughs) because it's just going to get pushed off and pushed off. (laughs) So uh, this last time around, I'm glad that you said this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Show up. Um, and I love you dearly. And it's been a wonderful, um, six years, um, since I've moved here to Sonoma. Um, and I've met a lot of really amazing people. Uh, and one of them is you and you've helped be a good friend and a mentor and someone who just is an excellent listener. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be here. Oh, thank uh, you. I'm not really a good listener when we're talking on the show. I seem to interrupt a lot. But just <laughs> FYI, this episode is about you, not me, because it's usually all about me. But today it's about you. <laughs> uh, well, just to give a little bit of background, I grew up in Texas, uh, actually. Uh, both my parents moved there after college to Texas, and so I'm a first-generation Texan um, who moved away after when I went to college. Um, my mom's from Missouri. My dad's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I 
fell in love with food because of family. And I feel like that's pretty common among chefs is having that influence in your life um, from early age. Um, my mother and her family in Missouri, they own a livestock um, auction house. And so I grew up with um, ribs and barbecue and um, also understanding and appreciating you know, animal husbandry and taking care of them and respecting where things come from. Um, hey Kyle, sorry to interrupt. I'm wondering, did the livestock auction place, did it have um, like a concession stand or a, like a little restaurant on the property? It absolutely did. And it had every kind of candy bar that I can remember. And I just remember having, I would go up there maybe once or twice a year. And I just remember having this freedom to go in there and just try everything and anything because my grandpa owned the place. <laughs> so, um, and they spoiled me to, you know, be able to do that, but it was, it's still in a functioning and um, auction house in Missouri. It's called Mocan. Um, but it was a really awesome experience to have that in my life growing up um, as well as uh, my first stepfather um, had a ranch. <laughs> I can do that too with stepmother. I know, odd beginning to a sentence. Uh -huh. let's, let's just say that my current stepfather, his nickname is Cinco. Um, sorry, mom. <laughs> Cinco! Like, Cinco? Like Cinco. Wow. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But yeah, my first stepfather, um, you know, from the age of three to 12, uh, we were up at his ranch, which was about a half hour from my home in Kerrville, Texas. And so that was a lot of horse riding and a lot of shearing sheep and taking care of cows and checking the fence lines for um, wild boar entry. And um, so we had a lot of fun um, growing up and a lot of exposure to, to animals and an appreciation for that as well. Were you a uh, hunter? I wasn't necessarily a hunter. I went along with it. Um, I enjoyed, um, you know, being there with family and friends and being part of the experience, but I wasn't a huge hunter. Um, but my, my family would go for rabbit and dove and deer um, quite often. So you were trained to shoot then? I was trained to shoot. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I was the best. Um, <laughs> you you'd probably tried to miss on purpose. Uh, you know, <laughs> funny story actually. My So I have a partner of seven years now, uh, Matt. And one of the first times he came with me down to Texas, uh, my family was doing a skeet shooting competition. And we had, it's just, you know, family, siblings, um, brothers-in-law and mom and dad and stepdad and stepmom and, you know, everybody taking turns on this rotating um, skeet shooter. So it would go in all different directions. And God. Matt, <laughs> Matt had never shot a gun in his life and he beat everybody. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's awesome. He, um, he held the, the gun completely wrong, but he, uh, <laughs> he walked away with the 2016 night skeet shooting competition. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Instant respect. Uh -huh. <laughs> Seriously. And, uh. It, the last up was him and my father. <laughs> so that was oh. fun. <laughs> Perfect. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, then continuing on, I, my dad's side of the family's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I've got Polish and German um, background. And so Ooh. my Pennsylvania side, I grew up making pierogi and sausage and mm. strudel and, you know, doing all these kind of very Eastern European um, recipes from my grandmother. Um, and just that's how we did everything. We were always around the dinner table. We were always cooking. We were always laughing. We were always making something together. And, you know, to this day, that's, that's how we do things. And so food has always been incredibly central to me growing up. Um, You're a twin or a triplet? I'm a twin. Uh, You're a twin. I have a twin brother um, who, I have a twin brother and an older sister. Um, lots of step siblings, but we won't count. 
my <laughs> older sister has two girls and they are seven and almost five. And then I have a brother who actually just had his second niece um, a few weeks ago. So um, I have, um, his first is August Ford and his second is Andy Margaret. And wow. my brother and I, our names are, our first names are actually August and Andrew. And so he both, has- Both of you? Well, I'm, I'm Andrew and he's August. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so he named his firstborn August and his secondborn's Andy. So Andy Aww. and Augie are back in the game for another generation. Nice, <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. How often do you get to see, I mean, obviously this is a weird year, but um, are they back there still? They're all in Texas. Um, they're all within a couple hours of each other. So they really get to support each other and um, mm. see each other and have some fun. Um, actually, the majority of the, the crew um, is in Missouri right now. Uh, my grandparents hadn't been able, haven't been able to meet um, either of my brother's Aww. kids. So they're getting to spend Thanksgiving with them and oh, they get to go and have fun in the, uh, the auction house kitchen are you <laughs> gonna go are you one. gonna go <laughs> no 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 you're gonna stay yeah. i'm gonna stay it's you know california we're a little bit more uh careful <laughs> yeah that's true it doesn't seem like it all the time but when you look at places like i mean i still am like what were they thinking with that motorcycle convention and service <laughs> i mean like seriously people did you not think anybody was gonna i mean that was crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I just, nuts. I just, you know, traveling during the holidays is hard enough to tack on COVID. And then, you know, obviously the biggest concern is giving COVID to anyone in your family is right. just a nightmare. So I think we just have to do the most responsible thing and just yeah. stay at home in our small pods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, your pod isn't as small as most yeah. people's pods. True, true. <laughs> Thanks to Gary. I, I barely <laughs> let Gary come over. I mean, we, we have one, we've had one or maybe two visits this whole time. And I was a nervous wreck the whole time. I didn't tell him that. Um, and he doesn't listen to the show, so he won't hear that because we are going to discuss that damn cheesecake today. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, so, I mean, growing up, I mean, all of this cooking was just really from family. Did you at that time, um, I mean, did you have like in school, was there home ec or you know, when you graduated, you went to culinary school. So my first job, um, in, I was about 15 years old and I decided that for the summer I was going to work at a, a church camp and cook in the kitchen. And so that was kind of my first exposure. And I really wasn't cooking. I was washing dishes and mopping oh, the floor yeah. and <laughs> scrubbing <laughs> things. Um, and then high school, we did have a culinary arts class um which i took and i loved and it was an amazing experience but to be honest i probably up until i was a senior in high school i was probably thinking of something in the medical route um i was doing a, a little medical rotation class uh, my junior year and um i realized i wasn't gonna cut it i i uh we rotated in through these different um, departments in the hospital and I was the only one in my class who was lucky enough to be there when someone was giving birth and the person was willing to let me sit in on their birthing <laughs> and I, I pretty much fainted. Uh, <laughs> I realized I don't think this is for me. <laughs> well, you still ended up being a surgeon. <laughs> you're a food surgeon still cutting still cutting yeah. <laughs> um and so yeah i i went i left high school and decided i just need to i need to go to college you know it's what's ingrained in all of us you know that that's something you have to do that we need to do um and so i went and just was started out as undecided and then moved into corporate finance and so after high school, I moved to Pennsylvania um, to a small Benedictine um, 
liberal arts college called St. Vincent outside of Pittsburgh. And um, it was close to my family up there. And so it was a little bit of a comfort to have them close, but it was, it was still far enough from Texas that I felt like I was alone and experiencing and having fun in college. And it was an amazing experience. I loved it. Um, I joined the swim team there and um, just kind of got the full college experience. And I was on track to do corporate finance and international business. So um, it was my junior year of college that I was studying abroad and I was in London for six months. And part of the program, uh, it was, it was also as a bonus, you get this culinary excursion. So they take you out to restaurants, they take you to do cooking classes. Um, plus we lived in a pod where we shared a kitchen with, you know, 12 to 15 people. And so I just found myself cooking all the time. Um, and simultaneously I was working at a stockbroking company as an intern and I hated it <laughs> <laughs> falling asleep at the desk. I just, I had, I didn't have the right temperament to just be sitting down all the time. And I wanted to be moving. I wanted to be moving my hands. I wanted to be giving to people, um, and feeding people. And so I realized that junior year that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I realized I had to finish my degree because I was only a year away at that point. And so I did and, you know, started looking at culinary schools. So um, graduated college and then went to the, uh, went to culinary school, wow. um, which was, you know, it was an interesting experience. I think because I had this true four years of a college education and jumping into, you know, Pittsburgh, uh, culinary Institute situation where it was mostly 17 and 18 year olds. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, and then I would say a good third of the class was second career um, people who were probably in their thirties and whatnot wanting to switch. And um, it was just interesting to see that dynamic of like working with younger kids and older generations. And um, I realized um I was going to get most of my experience working. And so um, halfway through that program, I had started working for Fairmont Hotels. And I was... You guys, something in common. That's where Brian is. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that was my, my first... Well, I wouldn't say my... Well, I would say it's my first professional um, cooking job experience. And they had just built... The Fairmont Pittsburgh from the ground up. Um, I was the first, you know, cook three that they had hired. And, you know, I got to be there to help take all the pans out of the plastic wrap and to, <laughs> to help season everything and to play with all these toys. It was a beautiful $10 million open kitchen and just one of the most beautiful kitchens I've ever been in. And I still remember to this day, one of the sous chefs saying to me, Remember this, because this is probably going to be the nicest kitchen you ever work in. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because, you know, it had it had multiple floors. You know, the pastry department was up the floor. They had a whole garmanger kitchen upstairs. Um, they had three banquet kitchens. I mean, it was just insanely huge. Um, and was it just and, one restaurant or was it different outlets? So we had multiple outlets. We had a bar downstairs. Um, we had a restaurant upstairs. The restaurant also managed all the in-room dining um, and the overnight dining. Banquet kind of existed on, you know, different multiple floors, but it was so interesting. To, I spent most of my time in the restaurant, but I spent a good um, six months in the, in the um, banquet department. And they had all these fancy ovens that you literally can pre-plate everything and you just roll it into the roll it into the oven and heat it up and so our wow. our catering team could have been was probably four maybe five people and we're feeding what? we don't we're have feeding that. like 500 people um you know and then it's just stewarding department helps come in and save the day when we're when we're doing finishing and um it was just so interesting to have that experience be my first banquet experience um but ultimately I, I joined the Fairmont because I wanted them to give me the opportunity to move around. Um, I wanted 
a way to travel. I wanted a way to experience as much as I could. And I got the opportunity um, back in 2010 or 11 um, to come out with family and see California for the first time, Sonoma. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love immediately. Um, and as Brian, you probably know, the Sonoma Mission Inn out here um, had a Michelin star at the time and at Sante. And I made it my goal that I wanted to, I wanted to be there. Um, and so a year later, um, a position opened up and they moved me out here, um, both myself wow. and my partner. I totally forgot that you worked at Sante. Yeah. Totally space because I would have mentioned that to Brian. Right. And so is this with Bruno and a young Andrew Kane? This is with Bruno and Andrew Kane. Um, you know, it was after the uh, renovations to the main lobby that I came. Um, so it was kind of a changing of the guard, I would say, in terms of the, the, the team there. Um, you know, Andrew still was there for a couple years and Bruno was still there for a couple years. Um, but I spent two years there kind of making my way around um, the restaurant kitchen and just absorbing as much as I could. And had they put in the soundproofing yet when you got there? I don't think so. Okay. We had, we, <laughs> <laughs> we had to do a little soundproofing because Andrew could get a little verbal. Uh, well, yeah, remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so the restaurant and the kitchen, there were the, you know, connecting them was this little sort of server station with double doors, you, you know, that go through. So it was a little close sometimes for people sitting in some of the tables close to the kitchen. So a little yeah. soundproofing. Um, <laughs> was done just to make sure. Heavy grapes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Did you uh, mostly in the Sante kitchen? Yes. Yeah. I I really didn't spend any time in the banquet department um, except for helping out here and there. Um, I spent my entire tenure um, at Sante at Sante. Um, but it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I worked every station and I eventually was the Tornade and, um, rotated around and worked everybody's stations. Um, and I got some pretty amazing pastry experience there as well. Um, you know, they let me work in the pastry department, you know, doing the dinner service, which was a lot of fun. Um, cause there's some pretty talented chefs there as well. Um, who just, I got to have fun, you know, some freedom to kind of create and have, make things that are my own, um, which we're in the restaurant, it wasn't so much that we're encouraged to kind of contribute, but the pastry department, you know, we got to make, you know, whatever ice cream we wanted, whatever sorbets we wanted, whatever intermezzo we wanted. Um, and we just got to have fun with it. And that kind of helped give, give me a little glimpse of my enjoyment of, of pastries. Um, I know, a lot of chefs either gear one way or the other, but I kind yeah. of love both. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Normally you don't get a sort of cross contamination of pastry and, <laughs> and line cooks because there's, it's such a different mentality in a lot of ways. It's, uh, it's kind of left brain, right brain. Um, yeah, for brain. sure. And I like to have that juggle. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun doing that. And I really enjoyed um, being there and, you know, Andrew was tough, but I, I'm so thankful for it. And I think that's an interesting part of, you know, growing up at, with my age um, in, the re in the restaurant industry um, and working under, you know, tenured chefs. Um, it's kind of changing, um, especially in a corporate mm -hmm. structure. Mm -hmm. I, I saw very early on um, within my first, couple, my first couple years at the Fairmont there, it went from screaming and yelling to you can't scream and yell right. <laughs> anymore. Um, but at the same time, I'd see people come in after the point where they tell you, you can't scream and yell anymore. And I just see where they didn't flourish as much. They didn't learn as much. It didn't stick with them as much. And so, you know, in the moment, it's really hard to be yelled at and screamed at, but you look back on that education and that experience and you're thankful for it because it's ingrained in you. Mm -hmm. um, so 
like I said, I'm, I'm super thankful to have that experience. Um, but I think you, I think it's okay to get screamed and yelled at every once in a while, as long as on the flip side, you're getting praise when you are doing things in the correct way, because then there, then you have guidelines. I mean, people need structure. Yes. And when you know, when you go too far this way and you go too far that way, which one is, is good and which one is bad, then, then you know where to be. Yeah. I think it's, that's incredibly truthful. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I was never a yeller um, myself. I was more of a mother's guilt um, yeah. <laughs> mentality, uh, which I think as long so as- So disappointed. <laughs> but I think as long as you, like you said, you balance those things, you, you let people know when they're doing things correctly and that you praise them for doing them well. Um, it's okay to tell people that they need to do better, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that the expectations um, are set and you need to live up to them. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because um, this morning on my walk, I was thinking about, we have not, I don't think we've done a single uh, employee review since COVID. Yeah. And it's like, I, I was just thinking, not that I want to bring it up today with anybody on the team, but I was thinking that that's not something we should have put to the side. I mean, you know, I think that's a really important thing, especially now when you don't see everybody. I mean, I think feedback is even more important. Yeah. So once Thanksgiving gets through, <laughs> I will definitely ask about that. Yeah, people need to know. People need to know. But it's also interesting because I've been listening to other podcasts where, you know, they've had chefs that, you know, are in their 50s and 60s and they really went up through, you know, the brigade and, you know, how hard it was and, you know, just everything they went through and then the change of, you know, decorum in a kitchen and you know really not just people going okay this isn't cool on an hr level but this isn't really good on a humane you know building team. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but sometimes it's that passion though sandra i remember must have been 1999 or 2000 at the four seasons resort on maui and we had uh, what it was Ferraro's, but we were going through a sort of change at this restaurant. And so they found this hotshot Italian chef, young guy, early to mid twenties, who was just killing it in, in Italy, Fabio. And so they told him, Fabio. Fabio. So they, they, they wooed him to Hawaii saying, we're going to give you your own restaurant. It's going to be your name as the executive chef. You're going to be able to, you know, carte blanche, do whatever you want not telling him that the restaurant literally was a walk-up sandwich window that was sort of being converted <laughs> into a restaurant. <laughs> so he gets there and after two weeks, I am not kidding, he would throw pots and pans, literally throw pots and pans across the kitchen. And we thought, this is insanity. Like he's gonna kill somebody. But he, he had this like pent up passion for the and and the food was amazing yeah <laughs> oh my god but it's yeah, just changed I mean, so much you know but like learning from different chefs i mean you also really learn what the way you don't want to do it when you get right. to be in command yeah, and yeah. you kind of remember what worked and what didn't Absolutely. Well, and we just had Michael Mina on uh, maybe two weeks ago, and he seems like in the kitchen, he, he just seems like a teddy bear. And I don't know if he's like that, or maybe he gets in the kitchen and turns into a, a crazy person, but he just seems like so yeah. even keeled. Like if it came out, he'd say, no, that's not going out. Try again. <laughs> I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think you get that successful being a pussycat. Well, you know what? You know what I heard? One of his employees came into the hotel a couple weeks ago and was telling me about their experience working for Michael Mina. And their favorite thing was they said, he always told us that, um, you know, when friends would come in or family or if we wanted to send something out, he said one of Michael's favorite sayings was, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? So it was, that was kind of an interesting take on hospitality. I thought that was really good that like, we're going to take care of people. Um, just, just yeah, do it. And awesome. yeah, yeah. I thought that was neat. Yeah. 
Okay, so from the Fairmont. So from the Fairmont, I was approached um, by Doug McFarlane, who was the executive chef um, for Ray McKinn's Culinary School. And he was looking um, for a sous chef to come in. They had really started to expand their catering capabilities um, and you know, he needed, he needed another sous chef. He needed somebody to come and help. Um, specifically, I was there to help uh, get the, the culinary school kind of together and uh, kind of drive the private cooking classes and to help build seasonal menus and recipes and just kind of get all of that in line because as well as catering, you know, the corporate team building and all of that was really kind of blowing up and becoming bigger and bigger. So I was there um, for about seven months when Doug told me he was moving to Portland. <laughs> um, but it was, it was great because I, I started with the culinary school and I just jumped into the catering and I was kind of doing a little bit of everything. And I was there with a, a, pretty, a pretty good team that had been there for, for many years. Um, but once Deck the Doug left, um, you know, it kind of became an opportunity for me to decide. I was like, you know, either we find another exec or Kyle take the job. <laughs> um, and did and they offer it to you right away? The Victoria, the GM, um, Campbell, she was really pushing for me to take the job. And I was very hesitant. Um, I was... 28 years old i i was a kid um, what year is this kyle this was 2014 um is when i started there um end of year 2014 i think yeah okay. um and yeah it was it was uh it was a really hard decision for me to do it but i realized um it was also a really awesome opportunity and I had this general manager who believed in me and she believed in my abilities and what I could, what we could build together. And so I took it and, you know, from there I was able to kind of pick my sous chefs um, and bring people in and kind of clean things up and um, get rid of a lot of stuff that was kind of just cumbersome and just kind of streamline things. Wait, will you talk about that? Cause that's an interesting statement. What, what is it that you were cleaning up or streamlining or what were you doing? So when I walked in um, our catering menu, but you know, was, you know, plated family style buffet. It was probably 20 pages. <laughs> um, and on each page there was, you know, 15 to 20 different options um, that people could choose from. And I think, especially when we were trying to build things and streamline things, um, it's important to kind of give people options, but don't give them too many. Um, you know, when you have a choice of a hundred appetizers to choose from, you've got, and you've got eight events in a weekend and you have to make four different appetizers for every single one of those events it's just it's inefficient and so we created a really seasonal tidied up um catering menu um that really allowed us to kind of streamline the the prep list and the crew um well and push know. things that you do well too right like the things that Absolutely. you really think you guys that are tight yeah yeah that's what you want people to see <clears throat> So that was, you know, that was a really an amazing experience for me. Um, you know, so I, like I said, I got to bring on a couple sous chefs of my choosing. And, you know, one of them was someone I've worked with at Fairmont, Denise. And, you know, she was my exec sous there. And she was my, my, my sanity, basically. You know, we were both just super committed and hardworking. And we kind of fed off each other um, and just synergized to really become super successful there. So, you know, weddings went from when I started, I think our, our revenue was around 3 million. And when we left, it was closer to six. And wow. so we, we went from doing one to two events on a Saturday to doing up to four weddings in a day, uh, which you know, that requires a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of really qualified and trained and, you know, dedicated people. And 
that's probably the, what I'm most proud of um, in that job is being able to build a team of, of lead chefs and a pastry department and, you know, kitchen hands that went from everything from high schoolers to college students to retirees and people who just want to have a weekend job. And, but at the same time, they're just as committed and they, they understood the quality and they understood what it was going to take and the expectations. And so um, I'm super proud to be able to do that. Um, you definitely, I mean, it, you, it was a very visual, visual um, growing of that business. I mean, from my perspective of being, you know, a competitor or someone that, um, you know, I'm sure we bid against a lot of the same, you know, weddings and parties and, I never have gotten involved in that part of our catering company, but there's only a handful of companies in Sonoma. And I really, really remember as you guys grew, and I know Victoria and Garnet and the, you know, those people in that team were just powerhouse salespeople. I mean, probably, you know, and that's that's always my thing is like the salespeople kind of push and push and push, and you're like, whoa, Nelly, yeah, <laughs> come on back now. We can't quite handle all that. And it's you know, like figuring that perfect balance of you know, giving good quality to the guests, and you know, like if you were the person that did the tasting for the wedding, hopefully, you know, that's what they're gonna get at the wedding and not yeah. something that it's their first week. Yeah. Um, because you have too many parties. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but it was really noticeable. And and also for me, you know, I, I agree. I thought like, wow, Kyle is so young to take on an exec chef job. Um, not that I ever thought you couldn't handle it, but people would work for years and years and years to get to that place. And I think you were just so brave and so, um, you know, like almost like, what the fuck, you know, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to go do something else or, you know, I'm right. gonna pivot, or I'm going to learn or I'm going to get better. And I think, you know, kudos to you because I really, um, I was so proud of you just the whole time. I really, Thanks. really was. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that made me feel really confident going into that job was um, my, my education, um, my degree in corporate finance, um, my understanding of accounting and numbers. Um, it all, I chose that degree because it's always come very, very easy to me. Um, and so it was interesting. That was one of the things that I helped do. I helped clean up um, order sheets. I helped clean up inventory, I helped create massive prep lists streamlined so that they were super efficient. I helped reduce food costs. I helped to, you know, do all the things that you should do as an executive chef, but I don't think they were being done as much. And so the, the reporting became a little bit more transparent um, with ownership and with the, the GM. And so they were just super happy to have that. Mm -hmm. And I think, like I said, I'm, my education um, allowed me to really kind of jump into that role and, you know, feel very comfortable on that side. You know, that's, unfortunately, that's the downside of being exec sometimes is that you do spend a lot of time at your desk, <laughs> um, you know, having to go through paperwork and deal with payroll and deal, deal with all that fun stuff. Um, but I was able to kind of just have that happen relatively easy and I could then jump in with my team and help as well. You know, I was executing mm -hmm. on a, a wedding every single Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I was definitely a, a working exec. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I would hear, well, he was very good about complaining about your work ethic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of uh, times that Kyle wasn't at the table because you were working. Yeah, but that's the real balance, right, of the executive chef. I mean, the, the joke, you know, for those people that don't work in restaurants, the joke in the restaurant business is if you want to know who the executive chef is, look for the guy with the clean chef's coat. Like they're <laughs> they're typically not on the line. But and and I you wonder sometimes if if they're doing what 
they want to be doing. Like the reason you got into it is to cook. And then once you hit a certain level, right, you, like you said, you're responsible for all these other administrative things. And so then that takes you out of the kitchen and you're not cooking. So kudos to you for actually wanting to jump in and help, but also, you know, you had those other skills that you were able to, um, to provide. And how lucky were they that you came yeah. from that background? And not only that, but also- You were with very the... underpaid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know any better because I was a kid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, that was, that was five years. I was there for five years. Um, and, you know, a year before I left, roughly 10 months or so, there was a change in ownership um, with a controversial couple here in town. Um, and, you know, when they first came on, I, I had every, every hope that I was going to start to get the things that I saw needed to happen in order for us to continue to grow. Um, because by that fourth year, I had said, we're, we're capped. Like we, we are working as efficiently as we possibly can. There is absolutely nothing else we can do with our infrastructure and resources. So this is what we need, pay for this X, Y, and Z, and then we can continue to grow. And so it was, it was a little stressful because we would say those things and say those things and we wouldn't get it. And then the new ownership came on and they're like, sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You want this? You want to buy new ovens? You want to buy a new truck? You want to spend this on, you know, storage, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be amazing. Um, and so I was, I was very much looking forward to the change in ownership. Um, then as you guys well know, there was some stuff that came out in April with some comments that were made and, you know, be me being a proud, you know, gay man, um, it was really hard to hear those comments come from one of the owners. And, um, but I had a team there. I had a team of people that I cared for and I had built this program and I, I, I was gonna stay there and I was gonna protect them. I was gonna try and make this prove not only to the town, but to everyone that, you know, just because the owners own that place, we don't believe those things. Um, and so, yeah, I was there for 10 months and for the most part, um, up until they stopped allowing us to do what we knew was the best for the company, um, I stayed on. And then as soon as I realized they didn't want to listen anymore, um, I knew it was time for me to move on. And what was it that they, were they just tired of spending money? No, it wasn't necessarily money. It was a lot of, uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say. Um, it was, it was one, the way they wanted to do things. Um, this town is pretty, pretty clear on how the processes of how things should be done, um, you know, protocols. And yes, it's a lot of bureaucracy and there's a lot of red tape in this town, um, but it's also what's kept this town feeling so local and homey and comfortable and small town. Um, and they didn't really care to care for it. You know, they, they didn't want to listen to the rules. And as, as soon as they said they weren't going to follow the rules, I was like, well, I can't be a part of this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's time for me to go. Yeah. So where'd you go? Well, wait a second before we go, <laughs> not going to stir anything up, but it's, you know, it's, um, and I can only say, I'm not stirring, stop, stop it, Brian. <laughs> Brian, but he's causing trouble. Um, you know, I get it too, because we were going to do a business um, with these same people. And we had spent a good amount of time working on the project, um, you know, to a point you know, we never had paperwork. We never had, you know, there were things that weren't normal. Like you would do business with other people. I mean, you know, we didn't, we had a handshake. It wasn't even a handshake. It was like, yeah, we're going to do it. And the further we got involved, the, you know, the more 
I think the more nervous we got because we really didn't have anything. It's like I'm giving all my knowledge and, you know, all of our ideas and things and, you know, putting them into place and just never that secure feeling that it was going to be ours or there wasn't going to be something on the other end. And, you know, we ended up leaving there. I mean, a few things happened, like we were going to do noodle spring there and, um, I had a couple people basically say to me, if you open this business, we're never going to come. We're never going to come there. We're never going to spend a dime there. And that was scary and hurtful at the same time, because my feeling was like, okay, but I'm going to change the energy. I'm going to change the juju. You know, I I don't believe in those things either, but wouldn't you like somebody on your side, like fighting for fighting the fight, you know, changing the tune. Um, And, you know, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing, you know, and it's, um, you know, but we ended up walking away, not really because of the controversy, but mostly because it just took forever. And that not knowing, you know, where it's going to happen. And I'm so glad now, you know, the more and more stuff that's come out. Um, I'm just so glad that we didn't jump into that partnership. Right. Might, that might've saved you millions of dollars too, Sandra. Think about what's going on right now. Like if you would have, I mean, you're doing noodle spring out of the girl in the fig, people can still get that. Mm-hmm. That's an option, mm-hmm. but you don't have another right. um, business that's right. running over in boys. But that business would have been suited for COVID because it's a kiosk and it was never meant to be an eat-in, you know, yeah. place. So it would have been. Right. Yeah. So they cost you yeah. millions of dollars. It, right. <laughs> it, 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 it cost me um, peace of mind yeah. and integrity and uh, commitment to our town, you know, yeah. on a lot of things. But um, that it was a horrible time. But anyway, um, you know, it. The other part that was interesting is that, you know, they also had purchased the general's daughter. Right. And we had that relationship when it was a state. Brian was actually the GM <laughs> of the state. And so we're very familiar with that space. And we were neighbors. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. we and there both. was the best is that it was sort of like um, it who were those the people back in the wild west the two families that used to fight all the the, the mccoys and the hatfields yeah. so we would we would always fight over parking space because yeah. when <laughs> when we had when we had events or they had events you yeah. both of us wanted to park in each other's parking space so then you started putting out cones and then you put garbage cans <laughs> to sort of yeah. block the way and then but they had the last laugh because they ended up just coming and buying it and saying well we're right. we're going to take the whole thing you guys go back to the girl in the fig Right. Yeah. It, it, and they did. And it's a yeah. shame because nothing's really happened in all these years. It's such a great really space. Like, I know. So well, as you both know, it's a beautiful, beautiful home and Phenomenal. historic space. And yeah. it's got so much going yeah. for it. Um, and I think Sarah did a beautiful job in the remodel. I think it was very, um, you know, very... I don't want to say vanilla, but it was good vanilla for weddings, good yeah. vanilla for events. Kind of need um, that blank, blank canvas. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, kind of. Well, you know, Sandra, do you remember the story of that building? That yeah, when it was that- General Vallejo's house that I think he gave to his daughter. And, and at the time, you know, we know it as we see it now with, with the streets and everything. But at the time, it was in the middle of this huge field and it was uh, cherry trees. Yeah. So it was surrounded by cherry trees. And they said at certain times of the year, you know, when the cherry trees would blossom, that you'd see this big house, almost like it was coming out of the clouds, out of these big pink <laughs> clouds of cherry blossoms. So you can imagine how beautiful, you know, and probably cows and sheep running around at that time. Just an incredible history to that building. I still miss that place. And I, you know, one of the things I miss, and I only remember this because like cleaning and redoing my bookshelves, um, Bob Kennard used to come over into the kitchen at a state and used to like look to see what we were cooking that day. And I just loved him. He was like the coolest grandpa. And I would just like make him a plate or give him a piece of salami. Or, you know, <laughs> just, like, he made me so happy. Um, Legend. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
It's, it's interesting. So anyway, we got through that, not with a lot of um, psychological assistance. After <laughs> yeah. A lot of support from your friends. And, yes. and um, but it's almost been a year. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. But honestly, the best thing that could have happened, you know, in the end, maybe Absolutely. Not it happened. But, you know, so you you didn't know what you were going to do right away. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I left in early December and I was like, I'm not committing to anything. (laughs) I've just spent the last five years over committing myself Mm -hmm. to work. And so I am taking a sabbatical. I'm just going to take some time and I will, I will work here and there and I'll do some small stuff, but I am not committing to anything until I get through this season Um, And it's funny because I think it was Christmas um, that you and I had finally got to talk and catch up. And, you know, I remember you saying, you know, Kyle, this may just be, you know, a walkabout year for you. (laughs) Yeah, gap year. (laughs) Yeah, gap year. Um, And, you know, I'm super thankful that I didn't jump into anything. And so um, I had some stuff lined up before March, I was gonna work with Pangloss and help them do some of their tastings, uh, their tasting events. And um, I was gonna work with um, the CIA in in Napa and help them with their stuff. And I had worked a couple shifts and then COVID hit. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, then we all go into lockdown and, you know, that's that's what happens. Um, But I was, going crazy I was going stir crazy being in the house and so I decided I was going to start a little food program um, a little pay it forward kind of nonprofit um, opportunity where I'm just going to prepare food that's packaged with simple reheating instructions and um, I'm going to deliver it to people it was like I I know how to prepare food safely I know how to protect myself and to protect others I know how to shop safely um, I, I know how to do this. So I should do this. I want to give back to the community. I want to help people out. And so it started incredibly small. Um, but with every meal that you purchased, you got to pay forward a meal, um, on on me, uh, to someone of your choosing. So it just, every week it grew and grew (laughs) and grew and grew. And, you know, I did that doing now about I'm, I'm doing about, well, there are two, per, two person serving sizes and I'm doing between 50 and 60 units a week. So wow. 100, 120 people um, That's awesome. a week, which is, which is really nice. And um, it's, it's been a really great experience. I mean, it's after about four months, I had to change, change the program so that it was a little bit more sustainable and, you know, it made sense for me to do it. I mean, I was never losing money, but I wasn't making money. And after four months of giving that much of myself, I realized COVID wasn't going anywhere too soon so that I should, I should make this a program that's sustainable. So um, I changed the price structures around. I incentivized um, the pay it forward by, you know, taking $10 off if you want to gift a meal. And it's been wonderful. Um, it's kind of been my COVID silver lining Um is that this this program has kind of, everything's kind of fallen into place for me, um, both with the generosity of, of friends who wanna help promote it and share it with people to finding a commercial kitchen space that I can work out of. And so I'm not having to do it out of my home mm-hmm. um, to then just being able to deliver the food to people every week. I, do all the deliveries myself and wow it's no it's, i know kyle's been at my door a couple of times wow. <laughs> it's just it's really nice to be on this side um on the front side um to be able to hand people their food and to catch up with them and i joked about it for a while i was like i'm I was always kind of the the least social person in the household because I was always working. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm seeing everybody more than anybody else. I'm being the most social. <laughs> um, awesome. But it's it's been a really wonderful experience to be able to, to deliver a meal to people and to then be able to catch up with them and to, you know, give them a little bit of 
lighten their day. Um, this year has been really hard for so many people. And so that's just been a really wonderful um, program that I've really enjoyed doing. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it's pandemic proof. So yeah, very I'm, much so. I'm going to just continue until I see a, a light at the end. <laughs> well, and what you... happens? Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Well, I wonder, are you doing the cooking out of where you are right now? Are we talking yes. about that? Okay. Yes. Okay. So you somehow got connected with Preston. Yeah, um, yes. at Sonoma Broadway Farm. He so, was our first episode. Wasn't yeah, first yeah. guest. <laughs> first, yeah. 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 Um, I had actually done an event for the Visitors Bureau end of January um, of this year. And it was just a, it was their volunteer appreciation. And it was just, you know, light bites. And so I got to see the space. I had been here before for some pop-up stuff. Um, but I got to see the space. I got to meet Preston and he is just one of the most generous people I've, I've ever, ever met. I mean, he's a little kooky at times, but he's incredibly generous and he just latched on, um, not just to me, but to my partner, um, who helped him build his website. And, um, it's just become a really great relationship with him. Um, and so he, basically his whole business structure was corporate team building and corporate retreats in this space. And so he couldn't do that obviously. And he was hating seeing his place empty. And so he's got this beautiful commercial grade kitchen um, with lots of storage and lots of firepower, Ooh. way more than <laughs> I think they would ever need. Um, and so he was like, please come and use it. And while you're at it, use all the produce on the farm because I hate Ooh. seeing it fall off the vine. Um, That's incredible. So it, like I said, silver linings, relationships um, ha have really kind of fallen into place with this program. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm very thankful for our, for our little town and how giving everybody is and how um, it's, it's helped me build this program. Yeah, it's amazing. Is um, the other chef that was doing the Lebanese food, is she still cooking out of there as well? No, no. She has a kitchen out of, uh, in Napa. Oh, good. Good for her. Um, Christina, yeah. that's spread. Christine, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Right. Topman. Yeah. So um, it's, it's just great. me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, when COVID is going to end eventually somehow, um, do you see continuing on with this or do you have something in the back of your mind that you know on occasion I have I have people who or I, I have old chef friends who will come and help me out just because they want to do something and they want to cook and they want to get their hands dirty and mm -hmm. they want to help and um yeah that's what I miss most um the team um the synergy that you get working with other people mm -hmm. um I am really enjoying this program, but I, I don't think that I will thrive as much as I could without finding, without being on a team. Mm -hmm. um, but who knows? I mean, maybe this is a program that I can expand and, you know, continue to grow and, you know, build a team again. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, I definitely, after the five years of catering and kind of really getting all of that under my belt, I, I know I can do that well. And so mm -hmm. who knows once catering gets back up and running, that may be an option down the line as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. So Cassandra, you've got a new competitor who's inching closer to eighth so street not, East. I'm so not worried about it. <laughs> he can have it all. <laughs> um, so have you ever made Gary's cheesecake? No, um, you know, he gave the recipe to Olivia. Um, was this on his death? Did he think he was dying? Uh, that was years Are ago. Are you kidding me? He, well, he made it with her and he was giving her all of it. And I don't think she paid quite close attention or understood the gravity of the cheesecake. <laughs> um, and Gary seems to always find a way to make it when nobody's home. So no, I have not seen him make this the famous cheesecake. You have to figure out how to do that. I mean, he thinks I want to 
like make money on it. I just want to know it. I just want to see him have some charity with his BFFs. You know, I mean, it is happened to be amazing. And we opened with his cheesecake on the original in 97. Gary's, it was called Gary's Cheesecake. That's what it was. And we'd pay him, I, I don't know, like eight bucks a cheesecake or something. <laughs> But um, yeah, totally an issue that I have is that just, I don't really care. I'm not going to make it. Right. Not, I wouldn't give it to our kitchen, but it just pisses me off that he won't <laughs> give it to me. I swear that I ran into him one night at Psy, and I think he said that he just uses the recipe on the back of the Philly cream cheese box. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's true. Maybe that's why he won't give it out because it's not his recipe. <laughs> there's there's no fromage blanc or yeah, any, you know, no, nothing like that. It's just yeah. Philly cream cheese. Yeah. it's the yeah so um i know we're like getting out of time but i i have like i had a whole list of questions that we didn't even go near but um you want to do rapid fire rapid fire well these are rapid fire questions <laughs> oh okay but, um okay here's one are there some instagram foodies that you follow you know not really i mean i i have been really impressed with um kind of our our new restaurants that have been in town um i've valley really and... enjoyed um mm -hmm. valley bar and bottle um mm -hmm. and i am friends with them so and they're mostly food photos <laughs> uh-huh um, tell me about your meal tell me what you liked and they were on the show a few weeks ago um so i I haven't been for about a month now, but we we went and we got. It, I love that their their structure is it's it's a bunch of small plates, but it's not a huge menu, and everything's just presented beautifully and seasoned to perfection. And it's mm. just it is true California farm to table, even though mm -hmm. that can, seems a little cliche, but they definitely put a really excellent spin on things. Um, and fine, they don't seem to be um pigeonholed in any right. singular type of cuisine and so they they feel that they have this huge array of ingredients um that they can pull from and they don't feel like oh i can't use togarashi because that's not you right. know we're not japanese so yeah. it's it's really fun to see them do that and i feel like i i have an affinity for cooking in that same sense where you know you don't feel that there's any one thing that you um that you want to cook all the time you like to have access to all different types of ingredients mm -hmm. and flavor profiles mm -hmm. yeah they're lovely I, I think they're doing a nice job i can't wait to go eat there one day yeah yeah i'll day. go with you okay thank you <laughs> yeah, i i owe a, i get a bunch of rain checks on a bunch of things <laughs> yeah and then um What's your go-to, you know, like you would get home from work after like a 14-hour day or 16-hour day, whatever it was, and you probably didn't get really a chance to eat. What would you end up making at midnight? or Hot like pockets. Say hot pockets. No, no hot pockets. No <laughs> processed. Not too processed. I, I usually go to, and I had one of these last night, I usually just go with a simple quesadilla with whatever I can find in our mm -hmm. fridge. You know, if it's like Harissa um or or whatever to just throw in there just because it's mm -hmm. easy and it's minimal cleanup and it's fast and it's satisfying <laughs> comforting but matt yeah. matt does all the cleanup matt's the best cleanupper he is but not late at night um oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god well this is so fun and I just, yeah, I mean, I'm just so proud of you. And, you know, you are one of the good, good guys, you know, and I really believe karma, um, you know, is really strong and, you know, you're paying it for and you're doing all this great stuff. And I'm certainly lucky to get to eat your cooking every once in a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. Karma, karma is uh, definitely a, a, a true a true thing and mm -hmm. she may be slow at times but she definitely she gets there and <laughs> oh yeah 
Oh yeah. Okay. It's fun to see when she gets there on both sides. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so if people wanted to get on your list, yes. is there a way for them to do that? Yep, just go to um, www.chef-kyle.com and you should be prompted with a little um, pop-up that says if you want to join my food program. Seriously, you got chef dash kyle.com that's know. amazing you didn't have matt. to pay for that that's matt <laughs> Ooh, that's awesome but he actually is like it should be chef kyle in sonoma and i'm like no it's easy chef chef dash kyle <laughs> yeah. there are times i regret you know the girl and the fig it's so long we should have done tea. i don't know whatever but that's awesome <laughs> yeah okay, we're gonna add that in the show notes and are you posting a bunch on instagram I do a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's just at a Kyle K all one word. A Kyle K. Okay. I, I do know that since I'm one. <laughs> I know. And Kyle, the show's going to come out after Thanksgiving, but are you doing special, um, menu this week? No, I actually decided to take some time off. Um, I'm still preparing for, you know, my, my usual weekly people, um, just some meals, but I'm taking the week off and I'm just going to have a nice and enjoyable Thanksgiving without too much stress. <laughs> well, it's funny because I said to Gary, I'm like, wow, is Kyle, uh, Kyle's bringing fig Thanksgiving to dinner? What's up oh. with that? Is Kyle going to be at the table with you? And he goes, no, 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 that's for his people. I'm like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for the business. Appreciate of course. It. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be nice. Um, it'll last year, as you know, um, was thirty five people That's in our ridiculous. in our home. <laughs> I'm looking forward to five. Yeah, really, I mean, there were it was so crowded at that table you could barely like. Cast I, I was like, never again in a was private my home. Mom there was my mom there last year. Yeah. 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 I think that may be the last time I've seen her. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But anyway, so much fun. Um, You know, Brian, you do the next part because. Sure. Well, to do it. And I'm like, no, I don't do that. We could swap roles every once in a while, you know, I didn't memorize that thing. I don't either. You know, if you want to check out some of our past episodes, go to the bikegoeson.com. You can also check us out on radiomisfits.com backslash the bike goes on. We totally appreciate you listening. We're open to any suggestions for guests. We'd love it when you leave us a five-star rating and we look forward to talking to you next week. Kyle, thank you so much. We appreciate everything you're doing. I'm, um, I hope you and have a wonderful, unstressful holiday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, you bet you. Th- I, I hope you still got your delivery. I hope I, she hasn't messaged. So I hope she maybe she just did a door drop. Okay, perfect. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you.